Support for this podcast comes from Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Sharon Kinzer, CFO of HubSpot. You're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 352. I have worked for three founders. I am absolutely fascinated by the mentality of founders. Uh, They have a vision, they know where they want to take the company, and they are um, stubborn, you know, in a good way, because they they have conviction in their vision. In In a position where a CEO wants to go in a specific direction, and you have to be uh, supportive, but also understand that you have to have the panache with the, with those CEOs to convince them that okay, um, you know, here are the risks, here are the the opportunities, and let's weigh them as we move forward with that particular vision. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. Our discussion with Kevin Bisson, CFO of Ipswich, continues after these words. We'll be right back. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday. Built for the future. Kevin, we always like to ask our guests for a moment of strategic insight that they've experienced during the course of their career related to the unique lines of sight that finance executives have into their organizations. What would come to mind? You know, it's funny. I... I've had a lot at CFO, but I, I always go back to um, uh, my time at United Technologies. We were, I was in, it was in uh, what's called, then it was called Hamilton Sunstrand. I think it's now UTC Aerospace. But anyways, um, it, it, we were in a situation where we had a, a, I'll call it a, for lack of a better term, we had chip manufacturing capabilities, which the chips that were uh, ultimately uh, developed and manufactured by this entity uh, were used in the products uh, of a, I'll call it a sister division within the, you know, within the company I was in or the part of UTC that I was in. And so it it was your classic vertical uh, integration, so to speak. But as you can imagine, chip manufacturing is extremely um, expensive, particularly you know, if you decide to manufacture it yourself as opposed to having somebody else manufacture. We actually had, in this particular case, we had, you know, 
a fabrication facility or a fab, uh, as well as the design work associated with the chip chip design that were ultimately embedded in a product that we were selling. And you know, it was obviously it was um, it was not a very profitable business. It was you know it was a captive customer for the most part. Um, we did have some outside customers, but for the most part, it was it was an internal customer. And I think you know there was always the we got to get rid of this, but it's strategic. We can't get rid of it. And and ultimately, it became such a drag that you know there was a decision that was just going to get rid of it immediately and you know essentially cut our losses. And you know I did some work on it because I had some understanding of the chip business, uh, and ultimately. I, I I looked at it and said, you know, we we shouldn't divest it right away. Obviously, it's it's going to be a big a big drag in terms of what we what we could get for it, and you know what the book value of the business was. Um, and I said we, uh, you know, I proposed that we should restructure the business. I think we could have, we could probably add more value to it. And, and part of the restructuring was um, offloading the. The, the drag, which was the fab facility, you know, we, the, you know, we could probably minimize a lot of the cost by, by offloading that to somebody who had more scale, somebody that had more manu- who needed the, the fabrication capacity that could probably fill it up better than we could because it was underutilized. And we did ultimately end up doing that, um, and then ultimately um, sold the. The, the chip business, which was essentially a design house at that point and not a design and fab facility for multiple times what we could have uh, sold it for, um, you know, at the time that we were originally looking to sell it. The moral of the story to me was that, that was that, hey, th- number one, um, it was looking at this as not just a finance person or, a you know, a a, a planner because at, at that time I was in I was a financial planner and r- running the the FP&A organization for this fairly large division, but it was really putting the the businessman's hat on and saying, okay, what what makes sense from a decision maker standpoint? Because uh, the easy decision would have been just dump it, take your losses, and move on, and you know that you, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have gotten much flack from, you know, most of the management team because they were obviously dissatisfied with the financial performance of this chip unit. But I think the the the, the thing that I look back on is, you know, the ability to sort of dispassionately look at this from a uh, not just from a financial standpoint, but w- what options were available. You know, let, let's look at all the options, then evaluate them, you know, strategically as well as financially, and say, okay, is this the right decision? You know, from a shareholder's perspective, um, you know, do we just take the loss and take our lumps and move on, or do we try something that um, where we can, you know, essentially get rid of the cost driver, move it to somebody who actually needs it, another chip manufacturer who's more diversified and could use the capacity, and then, you know, sell the design piece of the business at a more profitable um you know, transaction, and and ultimately, uh, you know, at at a value that we would not have gotten if we tried to sell the whole thing, you know, at once. And ultimately, you know, it, it turned out well. It was a a a win-win for the company. I think it was, um, you know, no 
I try to prop myself up, but it was, it was obviously a feather in my cap because I think there, it was not a <laughs> not the most popular decision. But I had a boss that was um, that I was able to convince, and he was able to take it take it up the ladder. And I think it convinced me going forward that you know what, stick to your convictions, try to be dispassionate. You know, don't don't try to don't try to make decisions before you've actually you know done the work to support your decision. And as long as you've done your homework and you know you've looked at uh, the alternatives and the options and have done, you know, the necessary, uh, diligence on, on each of those options, um, stick to your convictions and chances are, you know, you're, you're gonna, if you've done, done your homework, then, um, then you'll get the support for it within the organization and hopefully it turns out well. And I think that's really stuck with me as I move forward in my career that, um, sometimes the, the easy decisions aren't necessarily the best decisions. Okay, we want to move to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several uh, quick questions intended to uh, inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Uh, I think to me it is the, I call it the trove of information that is available today that wasn't available earlier in my career. Um, the amount of uh, information that is at the fingertips of the finance organization, um, at least in the companies I've been at, dwarfs any other um, part of the organization. And the ability to access that information, but more importantly, the ability to synthesize it to look for relationships and to use that information to make better decisions in the organization um, has really, to me, accelerated the role of the finance organization as a driver of um, what I'd call optimal decisions for the company. Uh, and it's exciting for me, obviously, as a, as a, as a CFO. Uh, it's exciting for me because it's not just traditional P&L, balance sheet, cash flow type information. I'm talking about information related to sales, as I talked about earlier, whether it's backlog, pipeline, all the information that that most companies have available in their uh, salesforce.com applications. It's just a ton of information that was you know I never had access to that 10 years ago or 15 years ago um information in marketing you know whether it's flown through you know the the um, information related to leads and how leads are scored in applications like marketo and how those leads flow through and what what marketing programs um, have the most influence or the least influence on attracting leads. None of that information had been available to me as a CFO five years ago. And we were able to tap into that information and not just present it, but look at it, analyze it, understand the drivers of why that information is either changing up or down or sideways over periods of time. And then most importantly, how does that information allow us either to continue what we're doing, change what we're doing, or don't do it at all? And and to me, 
this availability of information that um, that we get through new applications, new systems, you know, access to 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 a to an internet that is just continuing to explode. Um, it, it just makes the job better. It makes me better. It makes our organizations better. And um, it makes finance a much, much more, an even more attractive opportunity for people uh, coming into the business uh, now uh, than, than, say, even when I was, you know, entering, um, you know, my professional career, you know, many years ago. It was only uh, a few years, I want to say maybe uh, three years after uh, United Technologies that you would be stepping into a, a CFO role for the first time. Uh, that finance leadership role for the very first time you step into that office, we like to ask, you know, what is it that you wish someone had told you when you were uh, appointed to uh, CFO for the first time? What is that piece of information perhaps you wish you had that you did not have at that moment? Um, I had, I had always thought that to best prepare myself to be a CFO, you know, if you kind of look at my uh, track record of jobs prior to becoming a CFO, it's, um, I, I wanted to get, uh, you know, robust experience in accounting, uh, financial planning, and treasury. And I felt if I had those three experiences under my belt, that would prepare me the best uh, to become a really good CFO. Uh, and looking back, uh, you know, now, 15 years later after my first CFO role, uh, the thing I wish I had thought of, and I, you know, I wouldn't have thought about it obviously myself, but somebody had told me would, would have been something along the lines of, you know what, Kevin, you know, the best CFOs aren't the best accountants or the best planners or the best treasury people or, you know, the best investor relations people. The, the best CFOs are really the best business people. And, and what I mean by that is um, the really effective CFOs are those that really understand the business, which I, when I say the business, understand the products. They understand what the company is selling, what are the competitive advantages of the company and its products that understand the competition, that understand why customers buy our products or don't buy our products, and um, and understand the market drivers, you know, the, the things that are happening in the market that will either enhance the company's position or potentially may hurt the company's position. And then ultimately with that, you know, information help drive uh, the strategy and decisions a company makes to ultimately create shareholder value, and that, and that really, that really is the most important thing. If I had to tell one one thing to a <laughs> an aspiring CFO is, well, it's important to have all those disciplines I talked about earlier, the accounting, the planning, and all that. It's really, <laughs> it really comes down to how do you become a better 
business person within the company that you're you're in in terms of as I said understanding you know looking at the company from the outside in understanding the markets the drivers the products the competitive advantage all the competition that has made me a better CFO than all the other things that I thought about originally do you have a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success uh, I would say you know uh, the personal habit is really what I just talked about um, and I you know that I've learned probably after my first uh, CFO role um, it's really um, I, I try to take time um, and I can't say it's every day, but you know, I'll, let's, let's call it weekly. I really try to take time each week to explore more about, you know, again, our, pro our anything to do with our products in terms of how we're how we're stacked competitively, or what our competition is doing or what the markets are doing. And, and that can be in the form of, um, you know, uh, either articles that are sent to me or publications or uh, podcasts or, you know, getting getting in touch with industry analysts that, you know, whether they're you know, Gartner people I may have talked to in the past or IDC or those folks, and really trying to understand what is what continually is going on outside the four walls in this company? Um, because you know, I think a lot of CFOs, and, and I'm not trying to be generic here, but you know, there are a lot that spend most of their time, you know, within the four walls of their company, and and which is fine. You need to do that, and I think it's important. But I think what separates the the really um, forward-looking CFOs and those that become really partners with their CEOs and their boards is taking that quantitative and financial background and complementing that with um, a really solid, informed understanding of those external factors, you know, competition, markets, drivers, things like that. And it makes, it makes you a better CFO. It makes you a better planner. It makes you a better um, uh, you know, mitigator of risks, um, but ultimately it, it makes you a, I think, a a valued partner for uh, the CEO and all, and ultimately the board. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? I have worked for three founders. I am absolutely fascinated by the mentality of founders. Um, I am, you know, I'm different than founders. Founders, I have worked for them. They're they're different, but I think they allow you to really perfect your CFO role because um, many of them are, you know, obviously just don't think like a CFO in terms of mitigating risk and looking at. Um, I'll call it quantitatively based products, uh, quantitatively based decision making, or at least using that as, as a decision maker. And, you know, I, the three books, I'll, I'll give you three books. Uh, the one I, you know, the, obviously the, the three biographies that I've read and I've been fascinated with is, is uh, Walter Isaacson's um, biography of Steve Jobs. The other two are um, 
um, Ashley Vance's uh, book on Elon Musk, and then the third one is uh, Brad Stone's book on um, uh, Jeff Bezos, the uh, I think it's the Everything Store, I think they call it. Um, any of them are fine. Uh, the reason I like those books and I think they apply to the CFO role is this. Um, you, It's important for CFOs to really understand where the CEO wants to take the company going forward. And, and most, CEO, most CEOs, particularly founders, are very uh, – and what makes founders extremely um, – um, good is the fact that they are uh, they have a vision they know where they want to take the company and they are um, stubborn you know in a good way because they, they have conviction in their vision uh, a good solid CFO is one that uh, preserves that vision that direction that the CEO wants to take but provides counsel and advice in a in a way that complements a, a CEO and also and, and complements in this particular case a founder. And the most difficult obviously are the founders because of their you know they're they're, they're just they have visions and they just want to they, they they really are um, that's that's the direction they want to go. And all three of the ones that I mentioned are, exhibit that to the T. And it, and the reason I like it is because it sharpens your, the CEO's focus on, okay, where am I going to add value in a, in a position where a CEO wants to go in a specific direction, and you have to be uh, supportive, but also understand that you have to have the panache with the, with those CEOs to convince them that, okay, um, you know, here are the risks, here are the the opportunities and let's weigh them as we move forward with that particular vision. Um, been very helpful to me because, as I said, I worked for three founders. Um, you know, they had they exhibited a lot of what each of the three founders' uh, books that I read, but it helped me to become a better CFO in terms of not only dealing and and working with founder CEOs, but also other CEOs as well in terms of translating the CFO's um, unique perspective on decision-making and making that helpful in terms of uh, helping the CEO make, you know, good good business decisions that ultimately will enhance shareholder value. Thought Leader listeners, Kevin is going to be sharing his 12-month finance leader priorities with us, and we have a CFO flashback for you featuring one of our recent CFO guests, right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market.
Kevin, over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? The, you know, I think the major priorities is, um, and I and I do this at each each of my roles as the CFO is I I want to make my organization, meaning the finance organization, a customer focused organization. And you might say, well, what do you mean? You don't you don't talk with external customers. That, um, every every group within an organization, every function within an organization has a customer. In, in the finance uh, roles case, it's internal customers. You know, we're we're here to you know, support uh, the sales organization, the marketing organization, the R&D organization. You know, we're, we're, our customers are internal customers, and I keep trying to infuse that mantra within the staff that, you know, we're not an organization in and of itself. Our job isn't to say no to everything, and it's not just to be, you know, ultra-conservative and protective in terms of uh, eliminating all risk. Ultimately, our job is to help our internal customers um, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately either to to become uh, to generate revenue or to become more efficient. And that's the mantra that we have to have to have here in, in our organization to add value. And I keep telling our our organization, if our internal customers are coming to us for advice, we're doing our job. If they're avoiding us, we're not doing our job, and we, we've got to, you know, figure that out. Obviously, the the other priorities are, um, you know, like we talked about before, um, uh, as much, you know, quantitatively based, um, you know, decision making as as we can to support those decisions, and it's through, you know, the the, as I said, the, the information that's available as well as the analytics behind that. Um, I think from a talent management standpoint, you know, we're, we're looking for obviously the best, best talent, but I'm also looking for opportunities for career mobility within the organization because ultimately I think, uh, um, retention of talent here is, is becoming more and more difficult, uh, because of the economy. And so our ability to, to retain the best talent is, um, is becoming a function not just of compensation, but also becoming a function of uh, career mobility moving forward and, and, the abil- and the ability to be creative along those lines, particularly in a smaller organization. Um, you know, we have to be cognizant of that. Um, you know, I think the last thing, you know, g- generically for me has been, um, you know, besides the, you know, the usual, you know, how am I going to, how are we going to drive value in the business moving forward? Um, you know, I think it's just keeping um, keeping communication lines open, not only within my organization, but you know, throughout the the other organizations as well as we interact with our uh, internal customers. I think that uh, um, you know, breakdowns occur when um, the communication lines are either strained or non-existent, and I think that um, what I've tried to instill here is that you know, as part of that process of becoming that valued uh, function. Um, you know, we need to understand um, not just what we're doing r- wrong or doing right, but, you know, what are the issues that other organizations have that we can help them solve, you know, given the fact that, um, you know, we have this, as I say, trove of information available to us that can, that can help other organizations um, do their jobs better. 
Kevin Bisson, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Jack, thank you very much, and I appreciate the opportunity. Hello, I'm back. I promised a flashback where we highlight a topic of strategic significance for one of our CFO guests. This time I thought we'd feature CFO Mike Foley of Unity Technology. Now, Unity's focus is to democratize game development and make development of 2D and 3D interactive content as accessible as possible to as many people around the world as possible. And make no mistake, Unity employees view democratization as a mission and nothing, nothing should stand in their way, not even profit margins. Or so Mike Foley soon realized after he assumed the company's finance leadership role. How could Mike protect Unity's margins in such an environment? Here's what he shared with us. Something that, that I chose to do that, that had a really big impact on the company, um, it, 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 and, it, and it may be a little a little counterintuitive. Um, I joined a company here, you know, the Unity, a couple of years ago. That is an incredibly mission-driven company. People work here really uh, like I've never seen anywhere else to, to fulfill the mission of for us democratizing development. Uh, meaning putting these really powerful game engine tools in the hands of anybody, whether they can pay for it or not. And, and in most cases, uh, people who use Unity don't pay for it. Where, where that gets interesting, of course, is as the CFO needing, you know, and it's important that we can drive revenue of the business. And, you know, the danger at the margin is that those two conflict with each other. Uh, I think many companies face this uh, at, at times. How do we do the right thing by all of the users of our products while making sure that we can grow the revenue line. The most important thing I did to, to, to kind of inform that internal debate within the company, oddly enough, was just radical transparency on our financials um, in a way that I really didn't expect to do coming in or to, be, to ever do as a CFO. I sent every board deck with every single thing in it to everybody in the company with a deep commentary on the financial position of each of our products, you know, what, you know, how many, what percentage of our customers pay us. And it, and it, it changed the debate uh, within the company on, on how we do things from almost like a, you know, religious debate, uh, you know, to, to actually an informed debate um, where you've got 1400 people who have all the information that the board has and more. Uh, starting to talk about how to bring these two almost competing ideals of, of building a strong business and, and, and putting these powerful tools in the hands of many people as possible to, to, to bringing most people towards the center of thinking about how to you know, work those two together versus you know, sort of being strongly religious on, you know, some, some people were saying, make our product free, for example. Well, now they understand that that's not practically feasible uh, looking at the, you know, the, the business, uh, others, uh, you know, wanted to, to, you know, make it much more expensive, for example, and they, they understand that we want to grow our market share. So it's really made our, our 
1,400 people at the company informed consumers of financial information to, to actually make much better decisions at all levels of the company. Um, there's obviously a risk to being that radically transparent, um, but I have to say that the benefits of informing everybody in the company at all levels to that level of depth have far outweighed any risks that I perceive. Um, of, for example, that information leaking outside the company. So um, it's not really an aha moment per se, but the, 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 the response I got to sending that depth information to everybody in the company has been extremely positive and, and really has in, elevated the discussion within the company on, on how we run and how, and how we make decisions. Mike Foley, CFO of Unity technologies. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. CFO Thought Leader is pleased to welcome Workday as a 2018 sponsor partner. Together, we'll be collaborating on a number of live webinars featuring our CFO Thought Leaders. So don't forget, visit CFOThoughtLeader.com where you'll find information on upcoming events. Join us as our CFO Thought Leaders answer your questions in real time. Also, a special invitation for your human capital team members. The publishers of CFO Thought Leader in collaboration with Workday and U.S. Bank present the 2018 season of Workplace Champions, the podcast for talent-minded business leaders. Subscribe to Workplace Champions now on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. CFO Thought Leader and Workplace Champions are produced by Middle Market Media. Thank you.